I'm Gregory Berg. The following morning show interview was recorded and initially broadcast back in 2008. Enjoy. There's been much discussion about the debut novel of writer Rebecca Johnson, who uh, most of the day is uh, devoting her considerable talents uh, to Vogue magazine as contributing editor. But she has just written her first novel, and it's a powerful book called And Sometimes Why, published by Putnam. And in it, we really are, are thrust right into the heart of a family in crisis, a devastating accident occurs, and as uh, and as a teenage uh, daughter uh, hangs in the in the uh, balance of of life and death, uh, her parents, uh, her sister, and others impacted by this accident have to sort of wrestle with who they are and the choices which they've made in in life. Uh, I read one review which talked about this book really capturing, in its words, the fragile rhythm and uh, unpredictable drama of family life. The book again is called And Sometimes Why. And Rebecca Johnson, we welcome you to The Morning Show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Good to talk to you. Uh, as I mentioned, your, your day job, if you will, mm-hmm. is as a contributing editor to, to Vogue magazine. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you would just talk for a moment about what that means, what you do for Vogue, and in a sense what that has to do with with this uh, effort now for you to have, have written this new novel. In a sense, they, they, they might sort of seem to some of us like like two worlds that don't particularly intersect. Yes. Well, um, I should say up front that I, I work for Vogue, but I don't. the one thing I do not write about is fashion. <laughs> so it's a little bit, um, it, it always surprises people, but actually there's a lot of stuff in there that's not fashion-related. So... I find myself writing often um, health issues, um, and sometimes I do political profiles and things like that. And um, the the health issues are, I, I think science today is really fascinating. And one of the things about this that takes place in this book is the parents have to really grapple with, um, you know, how to define death, which is actually surprisingly difficult in modern medicine. If you've had a, a parent who gets very old and you you know this. So that's one of the things that I address in the book. Um, and, and that did come partly out of my reporting for the magazine. So so that's one way that the two worlds intersect. Hmm. I... Uh I am am not a reader of Vogue. I'm uh, not many uh, men are <laughs> right. So bad. Right, but I have seen some of your work in the New Yorker, uh-huh. and uh, I know that uh, on one memorable occasion, uh, you actually wrote about something uh, very very painful in your own life, mm-hmm. namely the the untimely death of what I believe was was your first child, yeah. uh, and that of course has some some. Uh, resonance with with this novel that you have crafted. Just tell our listeners, if you don't mind, just a little bit about that that real life pain, and and maybe the way in which that that marks you a, as a writer and and uh, affects, I'm sure, on a very profound level, uh, the experience of, for, for instance, creating a story like this. Um, sure. Well, what happened was I was it was my first pregnancy. I was um, thirty seven years old, and I developed um, a complication, and, and 
they decided to to you know have the baby be born early, and um, he he lived about a week in the intensive care unit. And I mean, obviously, it was a devastating experience. But one of the things that I, I found most kind of haunting was the different ways in which my husband and I viewed the situation, and that 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 was almost the genesis for the book because. Um, you know, he 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 wanted to keep doing every medical possible intervention, and I felt like it was pretty clear that there was, you know, that this child was going to die, and I wanted him to die in peace. And it was it was fascinating to see. You know, I thought I I knew him so well, and he thought I knew him so well, and uh, we we had a really different take. And that that was kind of the actually the idea for the book, just hmm. to sort of um, explore that profound difference between two people who love each other very much but but still have this difference so and i think you know one well, and and it, i th- i think you're really touching on one of the most interesting and potentially difficult uh facets of of human experience and interaction is when people are disagreeing over what to such a large extent is ultimately unknowable Exactly. That is what 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 ultimately would be on the other side. If we do this, right. where will it take us? If we right. do that, where will it take us? And 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 there there is no way to know for, for for certain. There's none, and it touches on all sorts of issues of faith and, um, as I said earlier, you know, technology and and all these things that you know I think we often feel very small in the face of. So um, yeah, it's something. It's sort of that, you know, mystery at the center of life. Right. Um, I'm, I, I believe you and your husband are still together. Oh, yes, very so, much so. So, so this disagreement was, was nothing that, that ultimately drove you apart, but of course yeah. we hear about that all the time. Yeah, I, uh, I, I wonder if, if, if you can sort out for us the way in which you and your husband were able to be at odds over something so critically important and... And, and and able to somehow live with that disagreement and 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 live through it, right. and come out on the other side of it. Oh, I mean, if anything, I think it brought us closer together, because even though I disagreed with his approach, I I respected it, and I and I and I knew that this was a very, you know, you don't get a lot of chances in in life. I mean, this is something I didn't want to mess up. You know, mm. I really wanted to. Um, to make sure that we did that right, and um, so I, I, you know, I respected, I completely respected his approach, and um, you know, so it, it, it actually made us stronger. And I think when people do go through these extreme uh, situations in life, it does. It either makes you stronger or it drives you apart. Yeah. So we were lucky. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, I had a, about a year later, I had a child, and then another child after that. So we almost didn't have time to you know, think about it too much. And and actually, I dedicate the book to that child who died. His name was Luke. Mm. Because, um, you know, he's still with us in many ways. Sure. And I wonder uh, if you can help us understand the the more tangible ways in which that experience affected the creation of this novel and sometimes why. Well, sure. I mean, I think... I mean, I think a good novel um, is driven by an idea, really, you know, and um, so that was the idea I had in my head. How do people react to the a notion of death? And so that, 
you know, I couldn't, I couldn't really get that out of my head. I, it really struck me so much, and being able to write about it. I mean, writing is a, uh, I think it was Ernest Hemingway who once said that uh, his typewriter is his psychoanalyst. <laughs> <laughs> and writing is a wonderful way to really explore, you know, whatever it is that is, uh, whatever burr is under your saddle in life. And um, this, this was really a chance for me to explore those, those issues in depth. And right. So do we see very much of you and your husband in these pages? I mean, uh, in some ways I would assume not too much in that the, 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 the married couple at the heart of this story uh, are caught in a, in, a, in a rather unhappy marriage uh, with, with very little in the way of meaningful communication at this point in their marriage. Um, so it, it, it clearly is not a direct re- reflection of, of who you are and who your husband is, but does does your real life experience resonate in these pages in some ways at least I, I think it does for every writer i mean you know nobody wants to admit it too much because you don't want to be exposed too much on the page but you know obviously if you you take things from your life and um you know it's hard to be married just being married is hard so i i um you know there's some of that in there and and um i think that that's that's natural, but it's, um, you know, nothing, it's worth doing. Everything that's hard is, that just means it's more worth doing. So. <laughs> <laughs> we're speaking with Rebecca Johnson, and we're talking about her, her, her debut novel, which is called And Sometimes Why. You've fashioned uh, such an interesting central couple in the McMartins, uh, Darius and his wife, Sophia, and uh, you, you, you give them such interesting lives. Uh, the husband, a, a Shakespeare scholar, and uh, the wife uh, works in museums, right? And so so they have these rich, sort of artistically inclined lives. And yet we have this sense that for all the richness of their lives, there is a, a fair amount of, of emptiness and between the two of them, uh, some estrangement. Tell us how you came to to, to choose these particular lives for for these two important characters um, well one of one of the nice things about being a journalist is that you really do get to um, you know get into the lives of other people on a pretty regular basis and so I think I had um, I had at some point come across somebody who does a job similar to what uh, Sophia does and I, I found it kind of kind of fascinating because they're they they are creative but they're also kind of on the edges of it like she works at a museum but she's not an artist and he uh you know teaches literature but he's not a writer and um i sometimes people who are in those jobs some sometimes not always but can eventually come to feel a little hollow their lives and uh, so that was that was kind of I, I made a, a self-conscious choice of having them be just kind of on the periphery of what might, which is not to say that people can't be completely satisfied by those jobs, but I, you know I do also think that there's something about um, getting older and you know they're both in their forties and you, you get kind of restless in whatever it is you're doing and I think. Um, would be great if we could all just reinvent ourselves at 45 and do something completely different. Mm. Unfortunately, society is not really set up that way, but I wanted to tap into that kind of malaise that 
I sometimes, I saw a study recently that said women are at their unhappiest at like 42 or something. Mm. I thought, oh, I can kind of see that because you're just, you've, you're kind of coming to the end of something and you're restless for something new to start. So that was um, that was my thinking in, in placing them in those jobs. So it would be sort of like somebody who um, writes about music when in fact maybe in the deepest part of their soul what, what they really wish had happened is that they could have made music or maybe. performed I, music. I mean, yes, that might I be a rough corollary to what you're I talking about. Absolutely. And I, I don't mean to say every critic is a frustrated artist because I really don't think that's true. And that's, you know, I don't want to insult. I wouldn't want to, you know, people, it's an art being a good critic too. But sometimes there is a kind of yearning there. And I certainly felt it as a journalist. You know, I wanted to write, I wanted to write a novel. I really did. It, it tapped on my imagination in a way that, you know, journalism never could. So, so maybe I was just, you know, writing about myself. <laughs> yeah, interesting. I, I'm especially fascinated about this character of Darius, the the, the Shakespeare scholar mm-hmm. who who likes to quote Shakespeare nearly at the drop of a hat, right. and and in a way which, uh, as far as his wife Sophia was concerned, maybe once upon a time was was quite compelling and yes. uh, uh, even alluring mm-hmm. and is just and is now getting to the point of being almost irritating. <laughs> uh, but I think it's especially interesting to kind of think of that that uh, of someone who knows Shakespeare yeah. and maybe who feels like Shakespeare has something t- pertinent to say about everything in one's life. Mm-hmm. And uh and 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 the ways in which we can probably take that way too far, way past the point where it is truly helpful. Right. Right. Um, I mean, I just, I, I, I wish I knew more about Shakespeare, but you know, I'm just astounded by his genius. And I just the idea of this man dedicating himself, and he happens to have a, a photographic memory, so he can bring it up at the drop of a hat. And I think, um, I think I saw, I saw the actor Kevin Klein once interviewed, and he could, he can do that. And I was so charmed. You know, it's really a charming thing to have somebody just drop in Shakespeare. But I can imagine after, you know, 25 years, it would get, it would get tiresome. So. Well, and, and it's interesting, too, because it, we get the sense sometimes that Darius is, is almost using Shakespeare as sort of a, 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 a point of deflection. Yes, exactly. That, that it somehow keeps him, that is Darius, from really engaging in the, emotional heart of his life. Right. It's like a third party that (laughs) sort of absorbs the emotional blows of life somehow. Right. And sometimes we do use language for that, you know, to, uh, to be people who are, have to have, you know, the exact right word. And it's almost like, it is almost like a a guard from, you know, to, to order things and to make them palatable and not too, not too awful. The family also includes two daughters, um, Miranda and Helen, and you've created uh, two characters profoundly different from one another, and yet somehow we have the sense that they really are sisters, which I think is is not an easy thing to bring off. Um, tell us a little bit about how you crafted these two characters and 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 how you you went about making them so drastically different from one another and yet believable as sisters well i have two sisters so that helped <laughs> and i see how radically different we are and yet so close and 
and it's it's always fascinating to me in families how you can have two people who have the same parents and and ostensibly had the same experience growing up and come out to be such radically different people and that's kind of the mystery of of um you know human nature ultimately and and if you have if you grow up in a big family then you have in front of you a laboratory for that and it's an endless source of fascination to me so um so that was, you know, that was easy for me, and I was blessed to have that um, growing up. Hmm. So, so you've created then uh, these two daughters, Miranda and 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 Helen, and uh, one very bookish, and the other, you know, kind of a exuberant, more sort of social butterfly kind of kind of character. Mm-hmm. I think one thing you've done here is you've managed to create them without them being cartoonish mm. and I think that's such a tricky thing because yeah. that just seemed it just seems like the easiest thing in the world to kind of fall into that common trap right. of, of 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 creating two caricatures more yeah. than characters well teenagers are hard because you know they are they don't know that much <laughs> you know they're kind of they are limited and so you don't want to make them seem stupid but by the same time, they can't be too sophisticated in their analysis of the world because there is a kind of unknowingness to them, which is part of their charm and also part of you know what makes them irritating. I have uh, teenage stepchildren, so I'm very well acquainted with the strengths and weaknesses of teenagers. So mm. that was um, that you know that was something that is fresh in my mind because I'm in the middle of that. But um, but I'm glad to hear that you know you think that, and and I I do know what you mean that. You know, teenagers do get caricatured as these sort of shallow things, but they're not shallow. They're just, um, everything is new to them, and so everything is imbued with this, um, you know, this sort of charged quality, which makes them kind of magic, I think, as, as characters. But sure. And, and, of course, the two of them also are right in the throes of kind Boys. of, re- yeah, well, in wrestling with their own lives yeah. and wondering... Uh, what more is out there for yeah. them. And it's such an interesting parallel to the parents who in their 40s are exactly. experiencing sort of a different face of the same thing. Right, exactly. The second teenagehood, if you will. So yeah, no, that's absolutely right. We're speaking with Rebecca Johnson and we're talking about her debut novel and Sometimes Why. Um what really lies at the heart of this uh, family drama uh, is a very, very serious accident involving one of the daughters and the ways in which uh, the family and, and others uh, are sort of ricocheting around in reaction um, to, this, to this accident and, and, and to this young woman's uh, life hanging in, in the balance. Um, is this a very close reflection of you know kind of, of of anything particular in your life? I mean, such as the the sorrow you experienced with your first child, or uh, otherwise, how are you able to 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 write so potently ab- about what it would be like to live through something like this? Um, I do think it. Um, I do think having experienced that kind of grief um, gave me you know, made it possible for me to write about it. I mean, uh, you know, at one point, there, it's almost like a physical sensation, you know, when you're, when you're in it. And I tried to capture that in the writing, you know, that you're, 
not to quote myself, but it's like it's almost like you feel like the blood in your body is flowing the wrong way, like you're going against nature in some profound way that is not supposed to happen. And you know, parents are not supposed to see their child die. So um, that um, having experienced that, I think I did have kind of almost a visceral understanding of what that experience is like. And you know, you see it. Um, you see it when you see a bombing in the Middle East and you see the, you know, the families come to the site and you just see their physical, you know, manifestation of this um, horror. And, and that's, you know, I, I always resonate with those women. <laughs> I mean, that's exactly what it, you know, what it's like. So, um, so yeah, that was how we, I, I tapped into that. And I, I don't, it, it's not... Um, at the same time, the book is not gr- grim so much because um, there's comedy in there because, you know, life does go on, and it is a great relief to be able to uh, see, to laugh. I mean, you can laugh the next day. It's, that's how human nature works, and it seems horrible, but at the same time, it's, I think it's like our redemption that we're able to do that. So that's what I tried to capture in the book. Mm-hmm. One, a couple of other characters we really should should talk about at least uh briefly one of them is is Anton who is this really interesting entertaining sometimes irritating character who kind of fancies himself as being you know right on the edge of this tremendously successful career as a filmmaker when in fact he's unemployed and, right. and, 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 and a really with a, what seems to be an outsized opinion of, of himself and his talent. Um, you, you, you create his character as though you've encountered this kind of person uh, in, in your own life. Yeah. Well, you know, I live in New York City, so it's full of um, strivers like, like him. And, you know, it's funny. I don't, I, I have sympathy, a lot of sympathy for him because it's, it's, um, it's hard. It's very hard. To, it's hard to make a living as a creative person. And you see all these people move to New York in their twenties. Um, and, and I was one of them. Um, and, you know, we're all, uh, you know, living in terrible apartments, really trying to make it and, and trying to keep your dream alive and trying to be ambitious, but at the same time, you know, understanding that, hmm, it's not looking so good over here, and, you know, trying to figure out how to make that, you know, morning cup of coffee last so you don't have to pay for another. I mean, it's a very, it's a very real thing, and, and I actually have a lot of sympathy for those, um, for those characters. So, in my mind, he goes on to be successful, but uh, mm. he's definitely not in the book. You're, you're right, and, and he's kind of a comic character for me because of his, you know, that striving quality. Right. Well, it's so intriguing. I th- I think I think people that are that are like that, uh, so often they seem to be this kind of interesting mix of courageous and clu- clueless. Right. And you need as, that, huh? I think you need that. Well, right. I mean, one one sort of begets the other in a in a in a sense. I mean, and if you weren't at least a little bit clueless about your 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 prospects, you probably. You stay home exactly. Yeah, you couldn't begin to be courageous. So, I guess one does go one goes with the other, and then there is this character of Harry, who's actually involved in this very serious uh, accident with uh-huh. uh, with with Helen, and uh, here's a fascinating character too, who's 
uh, game show host and, and, and life is about to, to really start kind of falling apart at the seams for him. But this is also probably somebody that you know something about uh, yeah. in, in, your own, in your own experiences in, in the big city. Uh, well, my first job out of college was working on the Morton Downey Jr. show. Really? Yes. I don't know if you remember him. Sure. Um, he's, he is dead now, so I guess I can say whatever I want to about him. But um, he was, so he was kind of my, you know, I was there from the very beginning of the show through its success and then through its ultimate demise. So I, I watched this cycle of, uh, of uh, fame and destruction, you know, up close. So he was a fascinating character. And, um, you know, I, I guess he was kind of in the back of my mind a little bit as I wrote Harry, though um, it wasn't nearly so good looking. But anyway, he was charismatic <laughs> in a lot of ways, in, in a kind of hapless way. So that was kind of, in the back of my mind, a little bit, that was what I had in mind. Hmm. So what did it feel like to be working with kind of the larger canvas of, of a novel um, and, and, and really to, to have the, the freedom to kind of create entire lives on the right. page? Yeah, that's, that's just a great feeling. And, um, you know, it's very daunting at first, and then all of a sudden you realize, oh, uh, a novel is just a lot of um, chapters. And so if each, cha- if you think of each chapter as this kind of its own story, and then each story um, touching another story, you know, the kind of proverbial tapestry, and it's kind of the um, same structure as all those 19th century novels, you know. It's, this is, we're, we're going to you know, check in with one character, then we check in with another character, and then we bring the characters together, so... Um, that's kind of how I, I came to think about it, and it's it's really it's very fun to do once you get the knack. I mean, it took me I'm not it took me a long time to write this book, five years. So, mm. uh, but I was on a learning curve, and and now I kind of like I kind of get it. So it was fun. Hmm. Well, it was fun to read. The book again is called And Sometimes Why, and it's published by Putnam and its author Rebecca Johnson. Rebecca Johnson, I'm really glad that we uh, had this opportunity to speak with you about your your first novel, and we trust that there are more novels along the way uh, that uh, are going to uh, also uh, entertain us as this book did. And I thank you for joining us today on The Morning Show. Thank you.